Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio, along with Brian Moritz, back again. Another week of action. Uh, and Brian, uh, you know, might as well get this out of the way up front. Our last podcast for a couple of weeks is uh, we've got some vacation time coming up. Much needed vacation time. We, we thought about maybe having somebody sub in, and I guess we could still do that. You might just have somebody host in in place of me while I'm gone, which would be sad, but I would understand. I mean, there's really no replacing you. I mean, what I was, oh, my, my other thought was, because you're actually the one going on vacation. I'm I am, not. Yes, I'm, so, I'm um, the jerk. And no, you're, you're the lucky one. So I was thinking of just either A, getting on here and just like saying what I would normally say for an hour and then have dead space where you would normally talk, or somehow creatively uh, uh, filling in your absence like they used to do when like Felicia Rashad was pregnant and when she was on the Cosby show and they would have her like in bed or behind gr- like bags of groceries. So right. back before they would actually like write that in or like do an alternative schedule. Um, so I don't know. I'm weighing options. But yeah, we'll probably be off for two weeks. You know, this is our big May sweeps right here. It so is. and we've Great. got an auspicious time to go on vacation. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it's a bold strategy, but I think you know the flip side is nothing else if not bold in our media strategy here. We uh, um, that's true. You could just have replaced me with a stuffed animal of some sort. Like, I mean, I that's think... st- that's still an option. I've got a whole bin of them over in the yeah. other room of the basement. Just, so. just yeah, just or, have, I like... mean, we we could do the radio head and just completely eliminate our internet presence for like two weeks, and and people and maybe that will stir interest, like it's it, doing with them. I don't there... know. What do you make of that? Are they are they serious about that, or are they just like are they just taking the piss, as the British say? I I, I would I would always go the the latter. I've never heard that expression, taking the piss before. Um, um, it would seem to be you know the whole eliminate your your internet presence before doing something just seems so Radiohead. Like if any band's going to try it, it just seems like it would be something that they would do. Um, right. But, you know, especially for, you know, especially since they're, they're the band that like really pioneered this download an album, pay what you want, area, you know, ideas. So it's not like there's, you know, historically technophobic. I mean, they have an album called OK Computer for crying out loud. So I, I don't know. I, publicity stunt ish. I, who knows? It, they could be disappearing for all I know. Who knows? It's, it would be, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a curious strategy. We'll see how it plays out for them. Yes. But, uh, but no, uh, you know, it's this is a fun podcast time of year. It's a fun time of year in general for those of us who work in good old education. Um, yes. I don't know where you are in terms of the end of your semester, but uh, we're basically there. Like, we're, we're okay. pretty much done with everything. Finals week is in full swing, and some of us don't really have a lot on that front. So, yeah. Very nice. We are we are in the last week of classes. My last day of teaching is on Wednesday, and then we have a week of finals. And you know, same here. No exams, mostly just projects due. And and then we move into summer, glorious summer, yes, um, which is research and summer classes. And but you know, I don't have to drive an hour and twenty minutes each way to get to get to work in the morning. So that's pretty cool. That's blessed. What are you What are you toasting the end of the semester with today? So tonight I am toasting uh, the end of the semester and the end of. Could we call this the end of season one, or are we just going to take a two week break and finish strong? No, I like that. We're we're our seasons are kind of like Netflix seasons. Like yes. we could have season two like next week if we wanted to. Exactly. So toasting the end of season one of the of the flip side with uh, a blood orange Hefeweizen from the Ellicottville Brewing Company. Mm. Um, I one of my favorite brewer- breweries uh, out of the southern tier of Western New York. 
Um, just love almost everything they do. I was intrigued when I saw this. I love the blood orange ale that uh, Great Southern Brewery does out of Long Island, GSB Brewery. Um, I forget the actual name of the brewery, but I know it's GSB. Um, but this beer, to be honest, it's a little disappointing. Um, the blood orange flavor really works well with an ale. Uh, with the, with the Hefe, it's a little bit too much wheat. So, like, I don't know if this is actually how beer is made. I'm just kind of, you know, assuming and guessing. But um, I feel like the uh, the ratio is off. Like, there's yeah. a little, there's not enough orange flavor and too much wheat flavor. So, yeah. um, but I applaud the effort. I, you know, it's it's still a solid beer. So that's what I'm I'm toasting with. So for your final final uh, beer of the season, what do you have? I uh, decided to go with the Founders Centennial IPA. S- sensational they are yeah. s- that is so good it's uh, everything you do it's tasty and it's not uh it's not overwhelming by any means like it's it's not a, a heavy heavy ipa it's uh, a different hot profile it's an, it's a relatively easy drinking ipa i would say yeah founders i know they're all day ipa is kind of one of the flagship of the session ipas i'm a really really big fan of Right. Um, so, all right. So, in terms of topic today, we have a lot of good questions, good feedback from listeners on Facebook and Twitter. Um, as always, hit us up at hashtag the flip side or flip side pod, either yes. one, um, with questions. And our flip side guarantee we will spend at least one minute on any question or topic provided. 60 um, American seconds, if not more. <laughs> uh, that would be about what, 72 Canadian these days? Yeah, but but only like forty six European seconds. That's, so speaking of, before we get to these to these great questions, I know you are a soccer guy, and of course we're recording this on May second, and uh, the big big story finally happened today. Kind of, we knew it's coming, but it's still very cool. Out of the EPL, uh, Leicester winning the uh, the Premier League Championship. Your reaction to that? Well, um, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a, a, a Tottenham Hotspur fan, so I was a little disappointed in the way that things came about. But uh, no, I mean, look, I think that Leicester is an amazing story. I mean, it, it, they're really there. There are, I guess, some analogs in American sport, but but not really because no. on the professional level, we we protect our professional teams and, and franchises way too much to ever really allow this sort of a story to take place. Um, and even on the college level, you know, it's, it's only like, there's really not a precedent for it. It would kind right. of be like, I, I mentioned this earlier today. It would be like if a, you know, if a Sunbelt team that just recently transitioned to FBS won the, the, the FBS, like, you know, uh, the BCS title game, like it would right. be that that sort of a thing. Um, right. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to put into context, and it's it's going to be something I think that pundits and analysts of the game are going to really struggle to get their heads around because it is truly unprecedented. Like not just in recent history, but really in English like football history. Like this this sort of thing doesn't happen. Like this is not the sort of team that wins these sorts of games, particularly in the money era of of professional football over mm-hmm. there. You know, I mean um but it also might be and I think it really is. I mean I think if you take the unprecedented historical elements of it out and you look at it from the standpoint of like what it represents for the game today. I think what it represents is that there's so much money in the Premier League right now 
that if you're smart about how you organize your team and if you get them playing a good style and you have if you have a good manager um you you have the ability to do stuff like this like i mean the chances of a team like Leicester winning the title out of the blue like that are very, like almost inconsequentially small but it's not totally impossible because there is so much money coming into the Premier League from television rights and so forth. And so that's, that's, I guess, my takeaway from it is that it is, it is truly amazing. It's something that I wish more Americans were familiar with, with English soccer or just European soccer and more familiar with this Leicester team story and, and uh, you know, where they came from to get to where they're at. Like, it's really special. It's a fascinating story. I mean, I'm not nearly the soccer fan you are, which is to say I'm not really a soccer fan. I'm not a hater, but I'm just not, it's not, a, not a sport I follow. And I've been reading a little bit about this about this story, and it is fascinating. And it's funny to me to see like the 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 the, the people on Twitter and some columns already trying to make an American comparison. And I feel like the the correct way to write that is there is no American comparison. There is almost literally no real corollary in American sports the way we have it set up. That's how completely bonkers it is. Um, and and you know. It, it is it is such a cool story. I am starting to see some of my not you, but some of my soccer snob friends who are kind of already starting to soccer snob their way into the story and uh, kind of browbeat people for not paying more attention to it. Let me or guess, caring about it. Let me guess. They're Arsenal fans. Oh, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was directed towards the people who listen to the podcast. Gotcha. But anyway, so <laughs> right. yeah. So yeah. So that's you know. Um, you know, the, the, the soccer, the, the, the kind of soccer snobbery showing itself in a little bit, but you know, it is such a, you know, compelling and interesting story to see. And, you know, look, as a fan of long suffering pro sports teams in America, I always am very happy when long suffering sports fans get a championship of their own. So very, I don't know if Leicester's really long suffering, but in in that regard but you know to see a team not expected to do well and what it can mean for a community is awesome so right um that's yeah, my no, i think it's i think it's great and i think it's 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 tough because you can't really say to people in the u.s well this there is no analog because mm-hmm. it, it then then they're just like oh well i guess we shouldn't pay attention then you sure. know i mean that's the problem you run into but but no it is i mean on the professional sports level it's it's just I guess it's like the Mets in '69, like just a team that was yeah. was was nowhere. Right, like, and, and even that, I just read a column. They were like a hundred to one odds yeah. to win. Um, well, so yeah, so you know, look, I mean, it's uh, it's cool, and and maybe it'll make people more interested in the league next year. Because now I'm really, you know, you, like you wonder, okay, will order be restored next year or not? Because you know the big story in the premier league like without going into too much detail on this you know historically the you know the league has been dominated by manchester united or manchester city or mm-hmm. um or chelsea you know arsenal's always up towards the top liverpool's always up towards the top tottenham's always kind of hovering around fifth or sixth and you know this year not only did leicester win but Tottenham is is almost certainly going to finish second now and that really points towards a an un, an unknown future in the league where Chelsea's rebuilding, Arsenal seems to be in turmoil. 
Um, you know, Manchester City is going to have a new manager. There's all this money, and you know, teams can go out and sign players you know that are good enough that they can compete on a on a night in night out basis, even if they're in the lower lower edges of the table. The, those sorts of things really do make me wonder what that sport's going to be like. And it's cool for me because, you know, I, I've only been following the Premier League in earnest for about a decade now, maybe about 12 years. Um, and to watch the possibility of a bunch of elements of it changing, uh, it'd be like if you just started watching college football in like 2002 and you've already gone through like three different itinerations of how the playoff works and, you know, or the BCS, like it's that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so we can get to our listener-suggested topics here. Uh, we've got some very good ones here. Um, let's start with uh, – we're going to go to Twitter from a couple of days ago. This is friend of the show, Ryan Forres. Ryan. Um, who is uh, aiming, I think, for co-host when you're on vacation here. Let him do it. Um, <laughs> he'd, he'd be awesome. Let him right. do it. So his question for us. Odds for the next three most likely ESPN departures. Mm, okay. Um, so this is obviously pertinent given the, the variety of things that are going on with ESPN talent leaving across the board. Um, and it's a difficult question to some degree because I don't know that anybody, if you'd asked that question a week ago, would have said that Mike Tirico, that's the wild card. Yeah. yeah, Would have been, uh, you know, even, even, you know, even remotely likely to leave. And so, um, Gosh, I'm gonna have to think about this for a minute. Um, I don't know. Um, I saw this question earlier, and I was thinking about it, and I was having a hard time coming up with anybody that seems plausible and also important enough that we would think to mention them. Um, I could potentially see somebody like Samantha Ponder uh, okay. leaving and maybe jumping to you know. CBS football coverage, like something that's a little easier from a travel perspective. Um, I could see, um, you know, of the anchors that they've got, like one of the things I think is interesting is like a lot of their anchors, like the, the really like popular ones seem to be pretty set up. Like mm-hmm. Van Pelt's got the show. Uh, oh, you know, you know, Neil Everett and Stan Verrett have the West coast show. Like they're, they're set over there. Um, so I'm stuck on Samantha Ponder. That's all I've got right now. So who do you have at this all point? All right. I have I, I have two I've been thinking of. And again, I don't know how likely they are. Um I think uh I think I could see Stephen A. Smith moving on. I don't know where he'd go. Right. Um, but I also see him as kind of the most likely to see something so awful that he gets kind of Kurt Schillinged and or kind of like backed into an area where like once is too like like with, with Schilling, it was basically not just the thing he po- the, the meme he posted and his and his defense of it, but it was kind of like the the um, Donald Sterling effect. It was kind of like the lifetime achievement award for right. posting offensive stuff. So I could see that happening. Um, I could see um, oh gosh, blanking the name, um, basketball reporter who always who, who talks about his Christianity a lot. Um, oh, Chris Broussard. Chris Broussard. I could see him uh, getting run off to uh, Fox Sports One. Um, again, also in the kind of, uh, or, you know, sources, you know, sources reporting something ridiculous that's not true or saying stuff that he's not, that, that doesn't jive with that offend that inadvertently or, or advertently offends people. 
I, I could also say it's kind of a wild card, like the Chirico thing. I mean, that was a big deal, especially up here in central New York. Chirico's an SU guy, um, donated a lot of money to Newhouse, very, very popular SU alum, um, very much like probably in the top, you know, when, when, when SU, uh, which is my grad school alma mater, mentions its bro- sports broadcasting alum, Chirico's right up there at the top with your Costases and... Right. Um, and you know Marv Albert, uh, all those, um, and so so that was such a shock and such a real seismic thing up here. I'm going to go off board just for the sake of this podcast and say Scott Van Pelt going to either like a complete like in a Trico situation, like a clear like not necessarily a clear show upgrade, but maybe like being set up for something bigger. Like I could almost see Van Pelt transitioning to almost like a Bill Simmons type show, either at HBO with Simmons at the ringer or something like that. Um, I feel, I I think he's got kind of the best opportunity to kind of make that leap away from just playing sports to being kind of a more sports culture guy, maybe even like a Dan Patrick style thing. Um, Again, I don't know if it's likely, but I could see that happening, I guess. Right. You know, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious like what the ultimate, Endgame ends up being here for uh, for ESPN because you know on the one hand I, I get I get this idea that they're you know supposedly shaving salary but mm-hmm. on the other hand you know it, I'm still not totally sold that the era that we're moving into is the right era to be doing that sort of thing in. Okay, why is that? Because you know. The things that, the, okay, ESPN's always had this philosophy, or at least tried to have this philosophy that you know no one's bigger than than the network. You know, mm-hmm. they 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 let Berman get bigger than the network in the '80s, and they've regretted it ever since because now they can't get rid of him. Right. And so every time, and Oberman Tal- and Patrick kind of hit that 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 level, or started to in the mid '90s with the Big Show, and they really clock that down pretty quick exactly and i guess that's my point is that like you know they've they they tend to go out of their way when people get too big simmons being another example to to, you know they immediately start to rein them back in it's like a reflexive measure but i i really think like a lot of their mentality on this is based upon the 80s and 90s when it what mattered was ESPN being on television. Like, okay, ESPN's on, you know, whatever your cable package channel is, and you're going to go watch ESPN. And because ESPN has all these different things, you're going to watch ESPN regardless of what's on uh, or who's on, you know. Um, But that's not how people really consume stuff anymore. Like, they'll do that for live games, but for all the other programming, like – I, the number of people sitting down and watching Sports Center isn't nearly as big as the people who are looking for a highlight or you know something on on Twitter or on Facebook. And I think from a from the standpoint of like what causes you to tune in, I think there is there has to be like some degree of of personality driven attraction that goes into that. Because at the end of the day, if I can see the highlights anywhere. Then ESPN having the highlights becomes less and less important, and then it becomes about talking people talking about the highlights or people talking about the games. Like everybody made fun of Fox signing Skip Bayless, and they made fun of Fox today uh, creating this show 
which is you know going to be what Jason Whitlock and Colin Coward. Which I thought no, it's going to be Bayless and Whitlock. I think isn't it? No, it's Coward. It's Coward. Oh, and, okay. and Whitlock. Well, oh, Whit- yeah. Um, so you know, I don't even think they, I don't even think they've established something for Bayless quite yet. Okay. But uh, you you know we cannot like either of those guys, and I personally am not a fan of either of those guys from a from a debate standpoint or from you know a, the standpoint of hearing what their opinions are, but. The fact that they will exist, and the you know the fact that the built-in audience that ESPN has isn't necessarily something that you need in order to be successful, as long as you can properly chunk that stuff out, put it on social media, and get eyeballs on it that way. Like that's a that's something that you have to have talent, you have to have like name brand people attached to it. And what I would worry if I was ESPN, it's like okay, who 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 are the name brand people that we're going to have left when all this is done with? Um, I mean, Bill Simmons is a great example. Like Bill Simmons started with basically nothing except his name with this Ringer project, and from everything I've, I mean, his podcast went from not existing to shooting into like at least the top five. I think it's just behind the flip side uh, yeah, yeah. in the sports podcast. We're neck section. and neck with them, yes. Uh, you know, and now he's you know the the the, the he's got this this uh, newsletter that's been very popular and he's got, you know, now they're launching additional podcasts and I, those are going to be popular. And it's like, that's, that has nothing to do with just sports and anybody can do it. Like that's brand name people uh, in, in his, or in his case, person uh, using his leverage in the marketplace to attract people's attention. And I, and I just, I look at what ESPN's doing and I'm like, I don't know if the ESPN name carries the same cachet from the standpoint of people automatically tuning in because because the tuning in part doesn't matter that much anymore. That's you know it's interesting because I, I I tend to approach it at the completely opposite point of view of you. Um but as I was you know listening I was thinking about what you were saying cuz I've been thinking about writing about this on the blog this week cuz I get asked this a lot about what's going on with ESPN and certainly you know you can look at the past year and the people they've lost and or who have left and you know it's interesting because aside from Chirico they were all basically headaches or potential headaches of varying degree or another um between Whitlock Simmons Oberman uh Skip Bayless Skip Bayless I don't know if he was a headache but he was not you know um you know he he was not you know a quiet for, for quiet star for them I really do think ESPN believes what you articulated that they that that the four letters are the star that espn is the star the brand is the star above and above above anyone else and and you know i have no research to back this up other than talking to my sports writing students and some anecdote and anecdotally but i do think people still do tune in automatically to espn you know when they turn on tv i think especially when you get excuse me a college age a certain college age males you know, that's kind of the default, you know, it is ESPN. The biggest threat, and you know this as well as anybody, the biggest threat ESPN faces is not, for me, lack of star power or lack of ratings or anything like that. You know, it's the idea of cord cutting. And, you know, their secret weapon, not so secret to anyone in the sports media business, but their kind of secret weapon is their carriage fees that they get. I think it's like, sure. what, 560-something from every cable bill? I think it's more than that, but yeah. Okay, okay so at least five five six bucks off of every cable bill and that flowing into bristol every month and you know as cord cutting becomes more of a thing does that how much you know i'm sure that's what 
Disney is looking at those at the cord cutting numbers and and you know making ma- making this move. You know, I don't know. And it's interesting you bring up Simmons because like you know he's the the name there. Like all the people he's bringing in, like they're good people, but they're not stars. Like Bill Simmons makes someone a star, or they're a star in relation to him. Um, it is fascinating to see kind of Fox Sports going the other way, going for the um the star power for like the deliberate provocative people, the people that are going to probably get the, you know, the dead spin posts about them and the tweets about them, but they're going to be kind of talked about like uh, talked about in a real, in a real way on that. Um, Fox sports is doing a lot of really interesting things uh, with with their lineup. Um, And obviously I just saw Katie Nolan show garbage time got picked up for a third season. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly that's, you know, I think my theory on theory, this is you know probably widely held knowledge. My thought on Simmons's show is that they're going to try to make that the John Oliver of sports, where you get like the fifteen minute little cl- rant clip that he goes on, like the John Oliver thing that circulates every Monday. Right. Um, and certainly, you know, Katie Nolan has thrived on that in that space, both before she got to Fox and now at Fox. And you know, it is you know going to be interesting. To see how ESPN, you know, they're not really trying to enter that space. And I'm sure it's, you know, for a million, million different reasons, not the least of which is they have rights to all these sports. So you can't, I don't don't know, they seem overly cautious where, where I think Fox has admirably a little bit more you know, leeway between those walls. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how ESPN, you know, it's such a big ship, you know, it's like, you know, a state school where you have all this, you know, the big bureaucracy of trying to shift it and it's like the ocean liner. And how do they, how does ESPN fit into the landscape where they're not getting as much money flowing into their coffers every month from carriage fees. And, you know, our attention, our our viewing and attention habits are different than they were before. Well, yeah. You know, the funny thing is everybody rightfully so talks about the, you know, the, um, the secret weapon of the carriage fees for ESPN. What people always seem to neglect to talk about is that that is basically sports league welfare at the same time, because you know, a lot of that money ends up just getting turned around and put right back in the pockets of, um, you know, a variety of different entities. And, you know, what I find interesting is like ESPN gave up or, or, you know, got outbid. I don't know whether they gave it up or whatever. They got outbid for the, the primary big 10 contract, uh, for football and basketball. Uh, so Fox has got that now. And, I mean, ESPN will probably still have some Big Ten stuff on. But, you know, you're, you're talking about how they've got all these the uh, the rights to these these leagues, and that's true, but they lost, they've lost that. They lost, you know, USA Soccer and the World Cup to Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you start to look at things and you're saying to yourself, okay, what other things are they going to let go on that front too? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know how does th- what what effects does that have on the overall business? I don't know. It's a re- it's a really fascinating time. And yeah. but I, I feel like people, you know, like for many years, I feel like when you pay attention to this stuff, you get too far ahead of the curve. You find out about stuff before other people 
like really find out about it. Like, you know, I've been talking about carriage fees for ESPN since like 2005. Right. And people only really started using that as a primary, like national talking point in like 2014. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people are still talking about that. And I'm like, uh, you know what? We're actually a little bit past that point now. And we need to be focusing on something else. So I feel like the business moves so quickly. Uh, And I really do think that, you know, the, the portability and the, the D the D like the, the de-emphasis on the television side of things is something that Fox especially seems to be going for. I mean, I think that's what's driving a lot of these acquisitions. I mean, you look at what they've done with with Katie Nolan. Uh, you know, Katie Nolan, yeah, she's doing garbage time, but she's also got her podcast. She's also doing web-based stuff. You know, she's right. she's like they're they're putting into all these different spaces that aren't traditional, and it seems to be working because. I mean, who was talk? I mean, I we had Katie Nolan talking in my class. I love Katie Nolan. Who was talking about Katie Nolan at this time last year? Right. Yeah. Like you know, she had that one that one YouTube video where she was like talking about Goodell speaking at the Fox thing. It was after the Ray Rice uh, deal, mm-hmm. and and that was about it. And then yeah. you know, like I feel like in the last year, somebody who's like all that she's got is a show that airs at what midnight Eastern something like that. Yeah. Like she's now become like a central point of, of conversation in sports media. And it's like, that's not being done through traditional means like we're seeing on ESPN. And so I look at that, I look at that model and I say to myself, there's something going on here under the surface that needs a lot more a lot, a lot closer attention than it's being paid by the industry experts who are supposed to be paying attention to this stuff. Yeah. That's that. I mean, a couple of points to wrap this up because we spent far too much time talking about serious issues from our day job here on this podcast. (laughs) Um, you know, Ryan Voris made me do it. Well, what's, uh, what's <laughs> so I looked up uh, on what you pay for sports.com, which I'll take as a reputable site. Uh, the ESPN carriage fee is six sixty one, and that's just for ESPN. Add about another buck ten for ESP, ESPN two and ESPN U, and ESPN's getting about probably eight. All told, all the ESPN networks are about probably eight bucks uh, yep. of your of your cable bill. Um, but what's interesting to think about to think about Katie Nolan is. You know, you, you you think about it. You know, kind of had that YouTube. She was doing YouTube videos and kind of got noticed and picked up and given a show on Fox. Well, that's the Bill Simmons model from 2002. Bill Simmons writing for AOL Sports. You know, at Boston.AOL.com kind of gets picked up for page two at ESPN and turns in, and eventually parlays that and throughout everything turns into Bill Simmons. And you know, now interesting to see that you know the 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 analogous thing is Katie Nolan in 2015, 2016, and that's happening on Fox. And not ESPN. Um, and 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 you're, it's a great point. And just to think think about the revolution that Simmons' arrival on the scene in 2002 heralded, mm-hmm. and we didn't realize it at the time. Right. And then three years later, we're looking around. And it was like, where the hell did the blogosphere come from? Yep. You know, I mean, it's that sort of thing. And I guess that's when I see something like this, I I do get excited, but I get more frustrated than anything else because I was like, why aren't more people talking about this? Yeah. So anyway. So all right. So now let's go to our Facebook topics today. These are not at all sports media related so this is where i think we really shine um and again these are topics provided these are mostly uh several of my friends and i have a family member on here too so again any topic guaranteed to spend at least one minute on uh my my good friend from st bonaventure steve gatine his topic vd 
what am I supposed to do with that topic, Brian? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I am a, I am against VD. The official stance of the Flipside Podcast is anti-VD. It's like, I, yeah, um, I, I mean, I've heard pointy guitars give you VD. Um, like, <laughs> you know, the Jeff, 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 Jeff Tweedy said that one time in a concert. So, um, I mean... I think VD is like under, like it's underreported sometimes. It doesn't get talked about as much. I mean, um, he is the is, is the uh, is the underrated of all the D's. Um, yes. You know, I, I, when when I saw this post, all all I could think of was uh, avoid the clap, Jimmy Dugan, right? Their own, which I kind of knew when I first saw the movie was sort of funny. But now when I see that ever see that movie or that clip or hear that line, I think that's just one of the most brilliant lines. Uh, 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 in a long time, just you know. Not just the line itself, but Hanks' delivery of that whole scene is just, it's amazing. It's like, it's why I miss funny Tom Hanks, because only he could really pull that off and sell right. it with such conviction. Um, we could also talk Valentine's Day, I guess, with VD, but that would probably be stretching the concept a little too far. That's also kind of sad. Yeah. Know? I mean, it's like, oh, happy Valentine's Day. Here's some gonorrhea. Like, that doesn't really work for me, you know? Happy VD. It could go any number of ways. So, um, all right. The next topic is from my good friend, uh, best man, and food blogger, prominent food blogger, Jared Paventi. Um, and this ties into something that we, I think we've mentioned before on the show, uh, but we are doing this weekend. Um, the Golden Corral Chocolate Wonderfall. I'm going to let you start on this. All right. One. All right. So, so the backstory on why, why, why I have a Facebook discussion going about the, uh, well, I should say the golden, the full post is the golden corral chocolate wonderfall and whether any of us get scabies from it this weekend. <laughs> so, so wait, was this, this was our way of combining the first two topics. Is that right? Apparently it's what we're doing right here. So anyway, uh, Jared, along with being a, a very good friend and a, a, a great food blogger, uh, blog, blog al dente.net. I think that's the site. Um, you should read it. It's very good. Um, he, he, uh, for every year, he uh, he's also an advocate. He also uh, advocates and raises money for to fight Alzheimer's disease here in Central New York. And so every year on his blog, we we came up with the idea of doing the chain challenge. Whereas if he raises twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars for the annual for their annual walk to end Alzheimer's, last year we took him to Olive Garden. So took this food snob, full blooded, one hundred percent Italian. Uh, food loving guy to Olive Garden for dinner and we got to order for him and this year this was his idea uh, if we raised money and we did we are go- going to uh, Golden Corral and we're going to be doing that this weekend out here in Rochester Jared his lovely wife Missy my wife Jen and and me and our daughters uh, they're they're about four months apart and they'll be joining us for the meal uh, as well um, and if you haven't ever seen anything about the Golden Corral Chocolate Wonderful I'll put, I'll put a link in show notes it's uh Let's see. The exact line here from it is: "It is a nonstop flowing river of chocolate decadence." Um, and, they, I, and I repeat, because they repeat, "nonstop flowing river of chocolate decadence." I, I want to note something, and I don't think you're conscious of this right now, but I know our audience is. Um, as soon as you started talking about Golden Corral, the signal went totally awry and like we can barely hear you right now you are behind a wall of digital interference i wish i was joking oh really yeah i'm dead serious about that we might we just because you brought up golden corral i think what we'll probably what we'll probably have to do here is stop and then start again so let's do that and hopefully this thing clears up so hold on right. just one second i'm good 
All right, so we stopped, we started, we're back. Everything's non-st- cool. Not nonstop flowing river of talk. decadence. I think. Look, I mean, ugh, like. Right, so, so here's the, here's the larger question. Do you? So so we can pull this away from Golden Corral because I've never been. Um, I don't know if you have either. <laughs> I've, um, I, well, they so, used to they used to cater press boxes when I was working in the business. So um, this this okay. has a special place in my heart, as you might yeah, imagine. Something like that. So, do you have a buffet general buffet strategy? Okay, so this is this is um, when I was younger, I was made to go to a lot of buffets, and I actually grew very tired of them. Um, to the point that the only buffets I hit now are like Chinese buffets. Okay. So my strategy with a Chinese buffet is find the General Tso's chicken and find like the little chicken skewers and then just kind of load up on those things and then go sit down. Okay. Um, occasionally I'll throw a couple shrimp in there for good measure. Uh, when I was eating uh, regular buffets, I, you know... I always tried to, you know, I, I would find the meat that I wanted, uh, and and I would I would like try a little bit of everything the first go around, like very small amounts, to see what was actually tasted good. Because to me, like the biggest issue with buffets is that the the, the dirty little secret about buffets is there's like a million options and they all suck. And right. so, like, you know, finding the one or two things that don't suck in a buffet uh, of that sort, like if you're going to, like, Ryan's or if you're going to Sirloin Stockade or someplace like that, like, you got to be careful. But uh, right. that – so I, I I need to probably renew my my buffet approach, but I haven't gone in many years. Yeah, we, 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 we actually – we found an open Ponderosa a few years ago while we were on the road, and we stopped, in, we, we stopped there, and – um yeah, it's one of those things where like they have taco shells and taco meat at Ponderosa, and for a brief second that sounds like it could be a good idea. Then you realize it's a terrible idea, uh, and you know so it's so weird because like the last but you know I have been to quality buffets. Like we took a uh, a, a cruise in the in the Caribbean for our honeymoon. Okay, my wife and I, and uh, you know the the buffet at the on a cruise ship is the centerpiece of the cruise ship. Like it, the the food is high quality. Yes, it's very good. It, it's kind of kind of the 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 centerpiece you know of, of of eating and you know i you know i haven't really thought through about my buffet strategy in a long time i kind of got to get one ready for this weekend but i think yeah you want to find the uh the least objectionable it, it's weird because you got to balance out least objectionable but still have some flavor and you got to deal especially dealing that with a protein because the least objectionable is going to be some sort of chicken thing but well, it depends. Sometimes the chicken gets the driest of all the that's things. The, that, well, that's the, oh, and, and that's the problem. You know, you really, really, the, the sound strategy is to look for the the freshest, the freshest tray. Obviously, right? Because that's going to give you the best, uh, the, the 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 kind of best move for um, the best hope of having anything, anything very good. And of course, you know, nonstop flowing river of uh, of chocolate decadence aside, you know, the uh, the uh, the the dessert portion of it is usually, you know, you can get, you, you can kind of. You know, you go light on the meal and go heavy on a nice ice cream, on a nice build your own Sunday, and that's always, always tends to be good. I gotta say, you know what's always disappointing about buffets for me? What's that? Breakfast buffets with eggs. Yes, I love eggs. Eggs are m- among my my five favorite foods. Breakfast is, of course, the most important, the best meal of the day. But buffet eggs are just always such a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I think publicly cooked eggs in general are an affront to humanity. 
uh, I mean, they're they're because they're, they're always rubbery, and they're they're always like. You know, I feel the same way about like mass cooked bacon. You know how you go to a, like a hotel, but a breakfast buffet. Oh, and it's that like curly bacon. Yeah, that's, like, rubbery. Yeah, yeah, it's like rubbery. It's not crisp, or if it's crisp, it's like burnt. Yes. And and it's just like you know, I wish they'd put a little more care into this. Like this right. is it's just like micro- it, it's very clearly the, the the microwave bacon like that you get and you microwave for like ninety seconds and crisp as as, as the frying pan, which is a lie because yes. it's not. Um. So good. So good. Buffet strategy. I think that's helping a lot of people here. Um, <laughs> I, right. I will say if you, the best buffets are like are either like Chinese food buffets or breakfast buffets. Like either of those. I I will say the thing I've learned about breakfast buffets, and, I, this, and this is the last thing I'll say about this. Focus on sausage and avoid anything that is bread based like French, there's nothing worse. There's no, not worse, but there's nothing more disappointing than like buffet French toast, like the French toast pieces that come in the actual like metal containers. Oh yeah, because they're always so, stale so, and they don't hold any syrup, and they're just like right. you know, it's like I'd rather have a you know if there's like waffles or something. At least but, those are self-contained okay. somewhat. I, so I was gonna say, so you don't like buffet bacon, don't like buffet eggs, don't like buffet bread. So your breakfast buffet plate is basically just like 18 lengths of sausage. That yeah, with a little bit of syrup and <laughs> and, and a lot of fruit. Oh, fruit, of course. Like you I, know, I, fresh. I, you know, every anytime it's great. Like I'll go to like I went to to Ajax this year, and there was like a you know there were all these different fruit plates, and one of them had pineapple and raspberries. Oh, that's just perfect. And I just took all of that. Right. <laughs> like, I just, like, I'm just taking all of these. That'll be my breakfast. And, you know, and everybody's like, whoa. You know, and so, yeah. yeah, fresh strawberries, fresh berries in general. That's To me, that's what the breakfast buffet does the best. I, I, I will agree with that. And if there's the make-your-own waffle iron where you yes. pour the little cup of thing in because that's pretty – you can control that. That's very good. So As long as the right. batter isn't terrible, yes. Well, uh, right. Um. So the next question comes from my sister, Amy Moritz, who and Matt Zimmerman would be all over this question if he was a guest star on this uh, on, on this episode. Who was the best minor character on Gilmore Girls? Um, Have you ever watched Gilmore Girls? No. Adam boy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I have because Matt Zimmerman talks about it so much, but I've actually never seen an episode. No, never seen an episode. Um, it, it is Netflix. They are coming back, so you can catch up with all seven seasons. Like, and then I don't watch- even. I mean, I don't even know. I, I know the show exists. I have no clue what's what it's for or like what they do on there. I mean, what they I, do. <laughs> I don't they know. Drink, they, drink, they drink a lot of coffee and say a lot of ponderous sentences is what they say on there. Uh, what they do on there. Um, I, anyway, I have watched all seven seasons with my wife. So I do feel um, I feel I can answer this question. And the answer for me, best minor character is Kirk. Uh, very kind of wacky, all, wacky towns, uh, town resident, always kind of coming up with a new job. Uh, very funny. Oh, oh, a, a way to think of like the minor characters on the Gilmore Girls. It's kind of analogous to the secondary cat, secondary characters in Springfield on The Simpsons. So like, okay. like, like the Reverend Lovejoys, the Krusties, the Kirk Van Houtens, all the you know that 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 kind of secondary cast of uh, a group of characters. So I will go Kirk on that, and you will go uh, DNP CD on that one. Yes. Um, all right, uh, Tim Sansone, the owner and bartender at. The Ale House in Vestal, New York, the the bar that made me a craft beer fan. He wants more beer talk. Okay, and I got I, I got a topic for you actually. Okay, 
What is this? When did America decide that it it was gonna like turn its hipster attention to sour beers? Like, I, okay, I, yes, I, we need to talk talk about this because <laughs> I had to take an incomplete on that assignment that you gave me on the sour beers. I've been unable actually to find a lot of sour beers They're all over the place here. Like, I went to the Tap, one of our local establishments, on uh, Saturday night. And Friday night, and and there were both. There was like nine or ten, you know, ghosts beers. I think it's how you pronounce it, or you know, like the, like beers in that style where it's like, uh-huh. um, like sour beers. I mean, look, I, to some degree, I guess it's a good thing that you know we're not obsessing over you know the hoppiness of, of particular IPAs. Like that's some progress. I'll get that. Right. But but I don't know that it's really progress because it's like we just took one ridiculous thing and replaced it with another ridiculous thing. <laughs> it's kind of which is kind of hipsterdom in a nutshell basically. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, "Oh wait, you you no longer like buttercream cupcakes. Well, here's a cronut." Like it's that right. sort of thing, you know. Right. So so yeah, I have not noticed a ton of of sour beers um no, I, I when I when I looked it up after you gave me that homework assignment that I took an incomplete on, I um I, I have had some in the past. Like I have had Frambois Lambique and in the past when I, I vividly I was at Tim's bar actually, I vividly remember disliking it greatly. But that right. was also eleven, twelve years ago now. So I'd be willing to give that another go. I don't so, even you know, know if I would consider that a sour beer. I think I'd consider that a fruit beer, but not a sour beer. Uh, when I when I looked up on Wikipedia, which is never wrong, that was one of the examples they gave Interesting. The, the, the uh, of that or like the lambiques i believe are the or the the is it lambic i always thought it was lambic but i who the hell knows you know? it, it sounds more french it's like jobels i mean it sounds more french when you say lambic like, um but like, the other thing i've noticed with the sour beers is like they're pricey they're not cheap to buy and for you know i'm not in the position to spend a lot of money on a beer i might not like or you know like a genre that like i'm gonna try this and if it's awful then i've wasted a lot of money Right. Um, so I'm I'm more circumspect. No, I have not noticed the sour beer craze. Maybe it's a Midwest thing and it hasn't made its way over to uh, to yeah. the eastern to the east coast yet. Well, technically, the ghost style beer it's it's a, a beer style from Leipzig, which is an unfiltered wheat beer with fifty to sixty percent malted wheat, which and I quote creates a cloudy yellow color and provides a refreshing crispness and twang. Uh, oh, you yeah, always like a good twang in my beer. A ghost will have a low hop bitterness and a complimentary dryness and spice from the use of ground coriander seeds and a sharpness from the addition of salt. Um, right. Like the Berliner Weiss beers, a ghost will sometimes be laced with various flavored and colored syrups. This is to balance out the addition of lactic acid that is added to the boil. So, I've, I mean, I've said that a, long, a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, you know, it, it's interesting to see that, you know, it, I guess it is good, like you said, that we're kind of moving away from the uber hoppiness of the IPA and moving on to uh, to some to some other kinds. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have it's, to, just, like, it's just interesting, like the, the overall, tr- I'll tell you, I'll be honest, like I've, I, you know, I think sometimes we get away from the idea that, with two things, first of all, beer should be enjoyable. And right. as opposed to being something that you endure. Right. Uh, but second, you know, I think like this was the like what a week or two ago was the the anniversary of the German beer purity law that was established, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which limited severely the 
the the ingredients that you could put into beer if you were brewing in Germany, which is why you know most you go to Germany, most of their beers um, there there aren't a whole lot of distinct distinctive types of beer. Okay. And you know what the one of the coolest things about the American beer revolution has been how much creativity has gone into creating these different types of beers, the different styles and and how much how just like the amazing variety of beers that there are out there right now um that you can sample. But I feel like um it's it's almost like social media. Like when I, you know, it's like there's almost too much out there right now. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of people get scared off from the concept of craft beer because they don't know where to begin and there's very few people who are helpful in telling them what they should try. Mm-hmm. Uh which is one of the reasons we do the uh the sample like the beers that we are drinking on the podcast because it at least gives you an idea of what some of the beers taste like or where they're from or what they do. Um you know, and it's a hard enough to crack, though. Like, I mean, I, I think it's like anything else from a cultural perspective. It's like, how do you bridge the gap between people who have been conditioned to just think of beer as a thing to drink right. uh, and, and bridge the gap to, oh, this is something that can be flavorful uh, and and can match palate for food or can match mood or whatever. Right. And, you know, and, and, you know there is, you know, and I don't know if this is a, an Internet thing or a social media thing, but there's always, you know, you know, there's a, you know, you don't need to be on the internet to be a craft beer snob, but there is that kind of like, ew, you're drinking a blue moon. That's fake craft beer or something like that. Or, right. you know, you know, and that, and like, I, I think I said last week, like those are really good, you know, for me, at least that, that was a really kind of the bridge from, you know, uh, the loggers to something a little bit more to, to, to something a little bit more. But, um, but yeah, it, it is, it is very overwhelming to go, you know, into the craft beer section of our section of any of our Wegmans and to look at look at what's available and to kind of you know pick out you know if you want to try something different or want you know it's always that that gap too you know you right. know do I do I do I try something new and and maybe I'll like it and maybe I won't or do I go with something that I definitely know I'm going to enjoy and you know not even you know a mass quantity one. Do I go for the Dogfish Head 60? Do I go for a Shiner Bach or something that I know is going to be an absolute win and I'm going to enjoy it? And, you know, there is something to be said for, like you said, beer is something to enjoy. Like, it's not something to to endure. It's not something to have to, have to you know, to show off with. Like, you can just, you know, a beer is a beer. So, a yeah. beer is a beer, no matter how small. Um, all right. I think we have one more question left from our, our right. audience. Um, and this one is from our very good friend and your soon-to-be colleague, Lauren Smith. Yeah, Lauren Eckhart Smith. Um, and we're <laughs> this is she Taylor made this for for us. Great. What quote good entertaining space means, considering everyone ends up in the kitchen anyway. So uh, we have to give some context for yes, that question. Please, yes. Um, so uh, Lauren has been appalled in the past at the uh, amount of time that you and I have spent watching HGTV and talking about it on Twitter and Jimmy Sanderson our our colleague at Clemson is in on this too. Yes. So. Well no, I, well and many others are I yes. think within the, within the uh, the sport communication firmament. Right. Um no, it's uh it's 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 a sport a source of entertainment for many people and uh you know one of the things when you watch those shows enough uh you know 
house hunters or mm-hmm. love it or listed or or that dumbass show with the the guy and his supermodel wife in california um, right the you know it, there's always certain things that seem to constantly it's like if you watch the food network in like 2009 and an episode of any show went by where they didn't mention Cocalvan. Yes. like like you know you would be like what happened did somebody die <laughs> you know among the writers right. um and so yes a good entertaining space yes. uh is something that you hear a lot about and i think she makes an interesting point here and uh you know what the okay so first of all uh, y- to some degree, you're, you know, I think there is some accuracy to this idea that everybody ends up in the kitchen anyway. So, like, what's the point? But um, what are you, what are your uh, prerequisites for what you would classify as a good entertaining space? Hmm. Uh, it's a really, really good question. We do we have people over about once a month for a thing, and um, just a thing, and, just a, thing. a chocolate, yeah, a, a chocolate waterfall, a cho- endless decadence. <laughs> Um, we, uh, no, so I mean, really, I don't have it, it. That's one of the funny things about watching the, watching these shows and seeing the people, seeing people talk about, well, we need this for good entertaining space, like a room where you, everyone can sit and talk and like drink a beer or a glass of wine. Like I really, you know, we, we have a, we have a, you know, a decent size house relatively on the small side, I think, but, um, and so it, so it's cozy. So, you know, you're never far from a speaker, you know, we have a Bose doc, we have our Alexa speaker, um, you know, we have, you know, to, to have music playing, but, you know, just, you know, enough room for everyone to kind of be able to sit and, you know, see each other, you know, open enough where you can kind of see each other and spread out. You're not on top of each other. Um, uh, but that's about it. Like, I don't really have a lot of requisites, like, um, like an Island for people to place their drinks on, or, um, I don't know. We have a, we have a deck we have a nice deck in a nice backyard. Um, but, you know, it's just it's just a space, and I don't know. You can speak to anything that you have or are looking for, but like, I always feel like those like good entertaining space means absolutely nothing. It's just something you say when you're on that show. Now, you know, it doesn't really add, add, you know add anything. Like, like do do, do you know the, the the best part of the of any episode of House Hunters is anybody knows. Well, one of the best parts is the fake dinner party that they throw at the uh, yes. at the end of each episode um, using their entertaining space. And always showing off. Let's see, there's stainless steel appliances, another one, granite countertops, another one, um, and you know, and, and, and you know, I don't know. It just, well, it's just one of those weird, stupid things. I think people have think they need because I don't know. Some designer said it in 2008, and it's stuck on on the show or something. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you remember the McDLT? Of course, I remember the McDLT. So, like the big, the, what was the big thing with the McDLT? It keeps the hot hot, and it keeps the cold cold. Right, it has zones. Right. So, I think any good entertaining space needs zones, like because <laughs> I mean, generally speaking, when we have people over, like decent sized, I don't know how many people you have over to your house, but when you have a decent number of people over to your house, the chances of everybody getting along and being able to like socially interact on an even level with everybody else <laughs> is low. Because right. uh, generally, like people struggle with other people, either they're either shooting up or they're shooting down, and so mm-hmm. I think it's important to have uh, multiple zones, like not just two, but like you need like three zones, right. and those need to be like like they need, there needs to be like things that illustrate where the zone is. So like you know you need to, like if you have a big space, like let's say you've got like a 
I don't know, like a 30 by 20 space, open okay. open floor concept. You know, you right. need a, I think you need a bar, and people can hang out by the bar. And then mm-hmm. you need like a like a couch, like a big L-shaped couch. And okay. Different people can hang out there. Right. And then you need like another spot where there's a television away from the other two things mm-hmm. where people who don't want to engage with either of those groups go and watch the television and chat with other people who feel likewise. Okay. And then there'll be a fourth zone in the kitchen. Uh, anyway, because, you know, again, as Lauren said, people congregate in the kitchen. Right. Uh, so I think that's, that's the, that's paramount. Um, okay. I think you need, um, you need some, you need, you need to make a decision on how well you want your guests to see each other. Like, mm-hmm. so you either need really great lighting and, and open, like, you know, open, open air light and, you know, windows and all that and, and recessed light, or you need to have like a dimmer environment where people aren't looking at each other that closely. Uh, and I think there's advantages and disadvantages to both, but again, you have to kind of know your crew. Right. Um, I also think, you know, from a good entertaining space perspective, you need something that at some point everybody in the room looks at and says, I don't understand. All so, right, I can so, buy that. So yeah. like and this could be it could be a painting, it could be my personal favorite, like a video game machine, like a like an actual like stand what, arcade, up game, arcade yeah. game that you know that somebody could go play and then that takes other people's attention away. Uh, or it could be like a cat uh, that just does strange things or it like could, all cats. You're right. Well, like a, like a, a, an especially strange cat, you know, okay. or uh, you know something something some something that's not human, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be sentient, uh, or or maybe sentient is the wrong word. It doesn't have to be alive, but right. but something that will draw attention momentarily, and you're just like, hmm, okay, uh, or maybe maybe you're more interested than in that. But I think you you combine all those things into a good entertaining space, and people won't be bored. Right. People will even rotate zones, which is right. kind of which the cool is, thing. And which is kind of a key to to, to that, 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 you know, you're always going to have your social connectors who are, you know, go, you know, either the host or some other, you know, preferably the host, but other people who can make the rounds and go from, uh, right. from zone to zone and kind of, you know, keep everything going. But yeah, you want that. I think you want that flexibility. Um, do you have a favorite HGTV cliche, house hunting cliche? Well, you mean, I mean, entertaining space is up there. That's really good. Other than uh, other than every episode being fake, because right. most of them yeah. already picked the house out before the show starts. That, that is a fun one. Trying to pick out, pick, you know, yeah. now, especially once you learn the secret. Like if if yes. like none of the furniture is in there, they're like, well, this is the one they've got because they're they're, they're going to be moving their stuff in in two weeks or something right. like that. Um, we actually did I tell you we found out we went on a house that we looked at a house that was on House Hunters. No. We were when we were we first started looking for our house up here. We went to the we we went and looked at a, this little old this old house like built in the eighteen fifties I think in Pittsburgh, which is the next town over from where we live near Rochester. And you know, beautiful downstairs. Like walked in like flabbergasted downstairs. Got upstairs and because it was an old house, it was very small bedrooms upstairs and like wasn't going to work for us. And a few months later, that house was on HGT. It was on a house hunters episode and the person did not pick it but that's very cool to kind of walk to mm-hmm. to see a house that you you've seen uh you've seen on there and um and that but no i'm i always like the, the fake dinner party i like the the fake conversation at a bar over a glass of wine and usually a beer right. uh where where 
very seriously going over the pros and cons of each house and how this house is over budget, but they're going to make it work. Cause that's another thing. They always pick the house that's, that's over their budget, but everything they want. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, from a, from house hunters perspective, uh, you know, I think, I think my favorite cliche is that invariably the real estate agent in the first or second house shows them something that's completely not what they were looking for. Right. And it's just like, okay. Right. I'm, I'm also, I'm also a big fan of like the, the, the person who like wants something and they play it up as like this weird quirk that like right. the guy. Oh, you know, I, out. I love, I, I have to have sunlight. Right. <laughs> like, like, okay. Well, thanks. That's, that's original of you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Welcome to the human race. So, like right. the guy who has one video game, and like it's a big thing. Where is he going to find space for his video game or something right. like that? Yeah, and every house has space for a video game. I mean, so. that's you know, I get that you have to make the show entertaining, but <laughs> come on, <laughs> it's uh, it's funny because I haven't watched House Hunters in a long time, but I do watch. I've been watching some of the other shows on occasion, and there, are, I, I think my well, my. My favorite cliche is like most of the shows are shot in Canada. Like that's what most people don't realize. Like right. you know, Love It or Listed or Homes on Homes. There's actually that's actually like on a different network. But but a lot of these shows are like shot in Canada and and like it seems like a regular American house and then you're like, Oh, it's a Canadian house. Okay, I get this. It's a these are Canadian people. Okay. No <laughs> no wonder. Like now it all makes sense. <laughs> you you get seventy percent of the house for the on the dollar. Wow. But it's a very pol- but it's a polite house. It is so, a very it- polite house. <laughs> By the way, I'm not. We need to go to that sometime. Like whether whether the, whether the whole like p- Canadians are polite thing is actually like. Oh, it's act- absolutely true. Yeah. Is it? Yes. I don't know if it's completely true. Like well, I, there there are unda- it's like everybody from the south being like so you know so polite. Like oh, there there are some a holes in Canada, but you know that's not like it's not like a completely free zone. But no, the, uh, the 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 politeness. You know, I've been to Canada enough to know that that's a real thing. I also remember one of the first times I went up there after I realized after I saw Strange Brew and the Mackenzie Brothers, and the first the the, the first person who said a in my presence, like legitimately, I, I started laughing so hard. I don't think they understood what was happening. <laughs> and I was like, I was like in sixth grade and they're like, Oh, it was like at the science Toronto science center. I was like, uh, Oh, we're open until five o'clock today. eh?" or something like that. Like completely <laughs> normal. I lost it. And I thought my mom was going to leave me in Canada that day. Um, That's great. But we can save that for season two, which will be coming yeah. uh, at the end of, starting at the end of this month after oh. your, very awesome vacation. Looking and, forward uh, to it. We'll come back refreshed, rejuvenated, and uh, ready to help more people. That's what we do. We are here to help ourselves yeah. and you. And so, yeah. Anyway, Brian, great times as always. As always. We'll uh, catch you folks on the flip side. Uh, come back for season two coming up at the end of May. Talk to you all later. See ya.